You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and it's great to have you. It is February 5th, and I've got a great show for you this week. This week, we're kicking it old school. In fact, this episode marks the one-year anniversary of Nine Cents. I started Nine Cents a a year ago because I wanted... Well, I, I felt there was a vacuum in this type of a show out there in the interwebs, in the inner tubes. Uh, Satanism today had been on hiatus or cancelled or just stopped for quite some time. And with that absence, I felt I could step up and provide a service that I genuinely felt was missing and that would be entertaining. Throughout this past year, uh, I have been shown that I was reluctantly right, (laughs) or just correct, that there is value to this type of a show uh, in entertainment to a specific audience, and though at times my audience numbers um, surge and wane, depending on uh, the content of the individual show, or just um, natural tire of a particular you know, format. Um, I I have been picking up new listeners, so everyone that has been tuning in, thank you so much. I know this last month of January has been really popular uh, because of some of the people and some of the content that I've been featuring. Uh, With this episode, I think it's important to understand that this podcast is not meant to be an interview podcast. Now, it does happen that in the Creature Feature segment, I often have interviews with those who have created content that I find worthy of speaking to. Um, But, I mean, that's really not the point of the show. Today, I have no interviews. Today, it's just me doing what I do every week for the past year. And I gotta tell you, for the foreseeable future, I'm gonna be continuing. I would like to think that there will always be an audience for this type of a podcast. But the reality is is that it it may not be. Uh, Certainly not just for the topics that I'm speaking to, or um, just, you know, getting sick and tired of hearing me talk. Um, But as media evolves, you know, the podcast may not be the, you know, the, the popular format to receive information. Um, but until that day, until that time, I'm going to keep doing it, because it's fun. So I had a friend create a sigil of Baphomet for me. And it was really sort of one of those things where I knew this friend, uh, who I've had on the show before, uh, Keepers. Go to Facebook, look up Keepers. Fantastic artwork, wonderful woman. Uh, She was on the show last year. We talked about uh, the Keepers store 
specifically and what she regularly caters to. And I was actually um, saving up because I wanted to get a sigil of Baphomet from Daniel Bird, um, who also, last year I had on the show. In the time that I started saving for it, um, a friend of mine, the, the husband of Keepers, um, told me that, you know, maybe Keepers could handle it and maybe they should give it a shot. And the offer itself I took at sort of face value, like, okay, well, yeah, you know, she works with wood, and I just don't know, you know, she's she's definitely not a Satanist, though, you know, she is satanic in her own right, uh, and she's a very, very good artisan, um, specifically with wood. She has a lot of other projects in the works, constantly, so I sort of really didn't seriously think she would take a stab at it, but I sent her some artwork anyway, um, a, a version of the Sigil of Baphomet that I drew up in uh, Illustrator. Um, you know, not, not an exact replica of the COS version, but sort of, you know, uh, an expressionist take on it. She took it, and months went by, and I hadn't really heard anything, and so I just assumed that she was, again, consumed with other projects. Uh, Long story short, I keep waiting like in Clue for someone to shout in the background too late. Um, long story short, uh, Christmas came around and she was working in the Christmas season and she was working on a ton of projects. Uh, we met up online and we were just sort of bullshitting, as we do every once in a while, just sort of catching up. And I sort of drunkenly guilted her into uh, continuing it, I guess, because from that night on, I started receiving images, updates of her working on the project, and uh, my excitement continually grew with each received photo of her working on this piece of art, and it just came in the mail this last week, and I posted pictures everywhere of it. It is amazing looking. She had hand-routed and carved the entire sigil of Baphomet on this big piece of uh, circular wood, and then painted the entire surface with red and then over in black and scuffed it up, and then repainted it in red and over in black and scuffed it up a couple of times. And then she took, and she, she actually tried it with clay at first. Um, I think she ended up with um, a form of caulk or something like that, where she had filled in with this sort of off-white or um, ivory caulk on the inside of the grooves. So it stands out. There's a really nice contrast. And the way that the paint comes off uh, looking is is like coagulated blood. It's, it's a very a powerful image to look at, and I cannot wait to use it in the ritual chamber. Um, it's in the mail. It's coming. So thank you very much, Keepers. Thank you very much, Heather. Uh, you did an amazing job, truly. And I, I'm just sad that... She's not going to be mass-producing these on one hand because a lot of other people would really appreciate something like this, but I do appreciate what it means by her not doing that, and that's that I have a one-of-a-kind piece of art from Keepers, uh, and that's very special. Um, other things going on on the web. Uh, Kevin I. Slaughter, just this last week, released another Down Below video, and these are sort of his um, vlog uh, like video blog uh, episodes, 
And I, I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit confused as to the specific intent behind these, other than to feature a piece of media. Um, and, and, and these it seems to be like books and stuff like that. Or other projects that his, his real passion, seemingly Underworld Amusements, is really spearheading. Um, either way, they are very entertaining. Uh, you know, Kevin's one of those gentlemen who genuinely is interesting uh, to hear what he has to say, uh, his, his visual aesthetic. Um, and it seems like there's a huge audience uh, for what he does, which is fantastic, because that means that uh, uh, a powerful satanic influence is out there. Um, and that's always nice to know, you know? Uh, anyway, if you haven't checked them out, check them out. Um, they're a lot of fun. It's not overtly like, you know, a guy sitting in a dark room trying to scare you with talk of devil and demon or anything like that. Um, it's just sort of, you know, his uh, lighthearted take on, on information, and it's, you know, it's just sort of fun to watch. It's just kind of entertaining. Um, and, you know, things like that, like um, down below and like uh, other videos that he has put out in Underworld Amusements and um, video compilations that others in our um, satanic world that we live in um, have put out. They're great because they, they, they push off that pseudo view or expression of Satanism, which is so phony and it's just so... It gets so tiring seeing the same thing over and over again. Um, and so when you see something that's genuine, uh, that's real and honest, um, it does wonders. Uh, not only for <laughs> staving off my, my uh, sense of despair of the future <laughs> that the online world is going into, but just that, you know, there is media for us, those of us of like mind. And that's fun. Uh, so, in The Devil's Advocate today, I'm going to be talking about Satanism in action. In Infernal Informant, I have two articles yet again. Online social networking may cause job loss. And, is Google in danger of being shut out of the changing internet? In Creature Feature, I'm actually going to be talking today about um, a book called Parenting with Love and Logic. Not specifically about the book, but more about the philosophy of what it is and why. I even picked the book up in the first place. Uh, it's going to get a little bit personal, and I hope you can take it uh, in the best of lights in which intended. And I might have another Bizarre of Bizarre, and we'll find out about it. Thank you for continuing to tune in and make Nine Cents an amazing experience for me, and I hope for you. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. Let's kick ass with another year starting right now. Say why bother? How you done? Great. Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? They don't lie to me. I guess, Father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. 
like it did for me the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. <laughs> I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the Devil's Advocate. I'm a Satanist. I'm a member of the Church of Satan. But I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. Satanism in action. What I mean by Satanism in action is that Satanism itself is a philosophy. Uh, but it's sort of more than that. Um, because it is centered around human behavior, Satanism takes on action inherently within people. You do things that are satanic um, without even being a Satanist, uh, for example. I see a lot of people online associating themselves, for whatever reason, with Satanism. Some of them go and become members of the Church of Satan. And what's amazing to me are those who do something with it. And this is what I mean specifically about Satanism in action. Is that it's one thing to align yourself with a philosophy or an idea. You've stumbled across it in whatever library or bookstore or friend or just browsing the internet. You educate yourself on what it is, and you identify with it. You start claiming that you're a Satanist. But unless you're actually getting out there and doing something with it, are you really a Satanist? I know a lot of Satanists that I've met online, and a few in person, and it's always a pleasure, and they are always busy. They have more than one plate in the air. They are constantly thinking ahead, long-term, about what their next project is, what their next expression is. It's never one of those situations where you just don't, you know, you're sitting around and you have nothing to do, uh, just sort of twiddling your thumbs watching TV or something. That's not what Satanism is. And certainly it's not any quality <laughs> individual that I would want to know would be doing something like that. And another thing I've noticed about Satanists, uh, other than myself, which I <laughs> really appreciate, is that they always have their fingers in different media. It's not just, uh, for example, podcasting, or it's not just painting, it's not just uh, design, or, or, or playing guitar. Or, there's always a multitude of expression. Growing up, I, I, uh, my mom was big into art. Um, she's actually a really good figure drawer. Um, not very good with imagination, but visually seeing the human form, she can recreate that on paper and with a brush amazingly. Uh, and so I grew up with that influence in my life, which actually I'm really grateful for. And one thing that I took from that was the appreciation of peep artists like Leonardo da Vinci, where it's not just a man doing one thing, be it a sculpture or, or a painting or invention um, or 
an appreciation of science uh, and technology. It is this Renaissance man persona. And I like to identify Satanism exclusively with the Renaissance man. Um, not because it's man, just because of what that means. Is that they, they are um, involved in so many different avenues of expression. And they may not be the number one at any one of them, but they are very good in virtually all. And that's not to say that it's expected that people go out and do stuff like that. Um, but I do believe that it, if Satanism were a stale, stagnant religion, where its members were just content to draw a little upside-down star on their forehead and sit around staring out their windows, cursing the world, it wouldn't be a place for me. And I'm fortunate, and so are you, that Satanism is active, that it is involved with the world around us, that we're not just sitting on our ass doing nothing with it. And I think this would make Anton LaVey very, very proud. And we are certainly doing his memory justice by not sitting on our ass, by actively getting out, getting our expressions out there in the world, having a positive powerful influence in our immediate surroundings and, and you know that may be your digital footprint online or your physical surroundings and the fact that you don't halfwardly say this is satanic but it's just understood that's what's amazing about it one of the reasons why I always thought the idea of God was so pathetic is that that God always had that Christian God always felt like he had to prove himself he expected his followers to go out of their way to appease him, and if they didn't, then he would punish them. Uh, and, and that sort of turned me off, and it let me know that anyone in the world that has to prove themselves, that has to go out of their way to convince you of their authority or of their skill, has neither. Satanists don't do that. We just appreciate what we do, that's why we continue to do it, and we won't stop, and we continue in many different arenas, and we express ourselves without apology or explanation, and that is what is so amazing about it. That is what's so powerful about it, because you don't have to say it's satanic. People automatically understand it, and we're getting to a point in society, which I'm actually really, really happy and pleased about, where it's no longer a dirty word. Certainly, it's a feared word still, and I don't mind that. I hope that kind of never goes away. Um, but it's not as misunderstood as it has been in the past, and it's certainly not a dirty word as it has been in the past. Certainly, you're going to run into it in some circles, but I'm talking about the grand scheme of things, the, the grand world that we live in, not isolated pockets like the Bible Belt or stuff like that. Uh, so, Satanism is growing thanks to its members, I'm very proud to be a part of it, uh, and if you're a Satanist out there sitting on your ass, you might want to question whether or not you really are a Satanist, because Satanism is action. It is constantly in motion. Let's move on to the Infirm Informant. Listen up, listen up, hey y'all good news, there's no devil, bad news, hell, no heaven. Nothing to say. I'm your 
Online social networking may cause job loss. This is from psychcentral.com by Rick Nauert, 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 <laughs> PhD, senior news editor. According to a news report, innocuous personal information on social networking sites can be grounds for job dismissal. While most prospective job searchers understand that employers will usually review a site such as Facebook before tendering any offer of employment, many are unaware that posting what would seem to be normal pictures or discussion may result in job loss. The report found in a professional magazine of elementary school managers describes the dismissal of an educator because the social network site showed an individual posing for a picture holding a glass of wine. <gasps> Gasp. A oh, glass of wine. Um, is this where we are as a society? Like, you can't hold... It? Because you have influence in your life over children, you're not allowed to have a picture with you and a glass of wine because that image is going to, what, make children become alcoholics? Uh, deviants? I, like, what is the, the, the thinking behind this? We had a puritanical moment in our culture uh, as Americans, and we're not that way anymore for a reason. Because it's absurd and it doesn't work with reality. I tell you what, if I ever got fired because I had a picture of me holding a glass of wine or beer, I would uh, I would take some legal uh, retribution there. That's pretty retarded. According to the background information found in the article, school administrators are facing a growing dilemma resulting from social networking that goes beyond preventing cyberbullying among students. Administrators also faced with balancing the rights of privacy and free speech of ed educators with what should be the appropriate behavior of teachers as role models. Yeah. Okay, now look. I remember some of my teachers from high school. I don't remember any of my... Like, not even one of my early education instructors. Like, I can get, like, a visual of their face or their their form, but that's pretty much it. Teaching someone the fundamentals in school does not really equate to being a pure role model. And let's even argue that it is. Drinking a glass of wine? Really? I, I mean, that's actually good for you. It's, it's sort of this insane idea that somehow because you drink wine, you are a deviant in other areas of your life, and that that's going to rub off on the children because you're teaching them what one plus one equals. Everyone knows it's three, right? <laughs> right. Okay, I'm sorry. That, that was completely absurd. It's four. <laughs> I learned well, right? <laughs> so it's, but that's, that's it. Because my teachers were drunk, I think one plus one is four. Give me a fucking break. Or because they drink wine and they're somehow... Are kids, like, are elementary kids going on Facebook and looking up their teachers? And are the teachers actually having them as friends on Facebook, for example? I don't think so. That's, that, that's weird, right? And then, in that case, I think just befriending a child so that they have access to photos of you online is bad enough. That's, that's crossing a boundary of where your influence... Ends, and, and that's really at the door of the classroom. 
as an instructor. But there's no way those kids are going to see those images otherwise. And let's say you're that teacher. Why the hell would you have the principal or anyone else in authority on your personal Facebook page? I mean, you're asking for problems in that case. You know, you have to filter who has access to what you do. I mean, if you just open it up to everyone, well, you know what, you got some cojones, or you don't care about exposing your personal life, or you just feel better that way, uh, understand that there's going to be repercussions like this. <laughs> like getting your ass fired for holding a glass of wine and getting a photo taken of you. Retarded. And it's something that's preventable, too. So the idea that it could happen is stupid. But the idea that you're inviting it, well, that's stupid as well. In the article published in the January issue of Principal Navigator, Janet Decker, PhD, said a large number of educators have been fired for internet activity. Despite the involving issues, despite the evolving issues, the courts have not provided extensive guidance for administrators, writes Decker. Part of the difficulty is that technology advances at a quicker pace than legal precedent, leaving school employees and administrators unsure of their legal responsibilities. Decker's article highlights cases that have landed in court as a result of school policies on social networking that were not clear or effective. The article also examines the law surrounding sexual harassment or abuse of students and freedom of speech for public employees and employee privacy. In general, it's important to understand that school employees are expected to be role models both inside and outside of school, even while on Facebook, concluded Decker. See, I, and this is bullshit, I think. Um, your children or your the kids in your class should not have an active part of your ex outside of school life if you're an instructor. And that's crossing a boundary. We're not living in small town USA, even if you are living in small town USA. We are individuals with lives that are very much private that have nothing to do with our professional responsibilities. And that has to be understood by everyone, including the legal authority wherever you live. Uh, Decker here, Janet Decker, is a douchebag. Decker's article features the following ten recommendations as she encourages school administrators to implement technology policy for school employees. Educate. It's not enough to have written policies. Schools should also offer professional development about these issues. By doing so, staff is notified about the expectations, and they have a chance to digest and ask questions about the content of the policies. Be empathetic in policies and actions. Administrators may wish that the school's computers will only be used for educational purposes. However, an expectation such as this is unrealistic. Create separate student and staff policies. Much of the law pertaining to students and staff differs greatly. Involve staff in policy creation. This process will help school employees comprehend the policies and will also likely foster staff buy-in. Be clear and specific. Policies should include rationales, legal support, and commentary with examples. Ensure your policies conform to state and federal law. Include consequences for violations in policies and implement the consequences. Provide an avenue for appeal and attend to employees' due process rights. Implement policies in an educative and non-discriminatory manner. Amend policies as law involves. Much of the law related to technology is in flux, which is legal today, may not be legal tomorrow. 
Although the recommendations are directed toward an educational setting, these suggestions are appropriate for managers in the variety of professional settings. Moreover, employees of a business or institution must be knowledgeable in company policy to ensure compliance and avoidance of unintentional actions. <coughs> Source, University of Cincinnati. Alright, so, you know, I've been saying this throughout the whole article. As a society, as an adult world, we have to accept that there are personal, personal parts to all of us. And that those personal uh, expressions do not necessarily influence our professional lives. Uh, with me specifically, I work in a very conservative uh, design um, advertising agency uh, in design capacity. Uh, my personal life, this podcast, and everything that I do online has no connection with that professional environment. And in the case where they may stumble upon me online, which is entirely possible if that hasn't already happened, uh, they have understood and will continue to understand that my personal expression has nothing to do with my capacity of doing my job professionally or whether I will perform as expected. And this should go across every field, especially education. I mean, we've got to realize that children are not stupid. Inherently, they may be ignorant, but they know that the adults instructing them have lives outside of that classroom. They may not give a damn about it, and I kind of actually hope that they don't care what it is, and that's where we should all be, is that it doesn't matter. Because as soon as you enter the classroom, that's when your teacher hat comes on, your personal hat gets taken off, or else there are serious consequences like getting fired. But just because you have a picture of yourself online, on your personal Facebook page, with you and a glass of wine, is not grounds for dismissal for any job. Unless maybe you're an AA counselor. <laughs> maybe then that would be worth being fired over. Alright, the next one here. Time business. Um, war for the web. Is Google in danger of being shut out of the changing internet? This is by Keith Woolcock. Posted February 1st. The upcoming IPO of Facebook. The flack surrounding Twitter's decision to censor some tweets. And Google's weaker than expected fourth quarter earnings. All point to one of the big events of our times the crazy, chaotic, idealistic days of the internet are ending. Once the prairies were open and shared by everyone, then the farmers arrived and fenced them in. The same is happening to the internet. Apple, Amazon, and Facebook are putting up fences, and Google is increasingly being left outside. The old internet, on which Google has thrived, is still there, of course, but like the Wild West, it is shrinking. Often these days, we sign up for Facebook or Amazon private version of the internet. At other times, we use a smartphone and download an app instead of using Google search. Investors are already placing their bets on who the winners of this new internet will be. Over the past five years, Amazon shares, despite their recent fall, have risen 370%. Apple's up 438%. Google's, meanwhile, have merely risen by 17% in all that time. It's still the early days of the long-term trend, but my hunch is that this gap in performance will widen over the coming year, and that Google's long, slow decline has already begun. What makes Google's predicament so serious is that it has little to do with technology and everything to do with business models. 
You can buy or copy technology, but changing a business model is about the hardest thing any company can do. Google's business model and nearly all of its revenue and profits depend on the internet remaining open. When we search, Google pockets billions from advertising. If the old internet is changing, Google's original way of doing business loses value. When Google reported its results two weeks ago, the first headlines focused on the 25% increase in the fourth quarter revenues compared to last year. Investors, however, focused on the drop in the cost per click that Google is able to charge its advertisers. The main reasons for the decline in this all-important metric is increasing competition from Facebook, Amazon, and Apple. Start with Facebook, which has erected a cyber fence around its 800 million-plus users and refuses to share some important data with Google. This means that Google's searches are not quite as valuable to advertisers as they used to be when the Internet was open and when Facebook was much smaller than it is today. Amazon is increasingly playing a similar trick, but with a twist. Amazon has taken Google's freely available Android operating system and adapted it for its new Fire tablet. Amazon gets to free ride upon Google software, in other words, while the search giant gets nothing back in return. No data and no advertising revenue. Apple's land grab, meanwhile, may be the most definitive. The Apple universe is like a cable TV network that owns content or aggregates it. Its phones, computers, and tablets are like the set-top boxes your cable company gives you. The content you consume might be a film that you download a song, a book, an application, or something you buy online, like a pair of shoes. And none of the data Apple consumers generate is available to Google. Amazon basically has the same arrangement going on with its Kindle and Fire. The only thing it doesn't own is its network. But it doesn't matter. Once you log into Amazon with a password, you've left Google's open internet. The danger to Google, in other words, is that as social networking, smartphones, and tablets increasingly come to dominate the Internet, Google's chance to earn advertising revenues from searching will shrink along with its influence. Yes, Google has Android and Google+, but these may not be enough to fight the shift in the closed Internet. Google+, of course, has just a tiny fraction of Facebook's scale, and there's currently little reason to think it can catch up. The Android operating system, also an attempt by Google to build its own internet ecosystem, is a more conspicuous success. More commentators focused on the rapid growth of Android and the fact that it has greater market share than the iPhone. But this analysis misses the point. The Android may have market share, but more than half of mobile searchers come from iPhone users. Google may have developed Android, but unlike Apple's iPhone, it doesn't really control it. Licensees like Samsung and HTC are able to adapt Android software to their own ends, and smart companies like Amazon are getting a free ride on Android while sharing little of the spoils with Google. Don't get me wrong, Google is still a force just as Microsoft, Intel, and IBM are, but they are no longer at the epicenter of the zeitgeist. Like Microsoft before it, Google can fight a good fight on many different fronts. Whether it can ever find an engine of growth capable of supplanting its core business is another question. Alright, that's the article. And, and the reason why I brought this up, outside of the interesting business aspect of it, is just that, you know, I grew up with the birth of the internet. So, when I read this, I didn't realize how closed it had actually become. I mean, we see a lot of press about things like Sofa, where they're attempting to um, curtail um, piracy, but we never really talk about how using a specific brand, like an iPhone, for example, 
is closing off vast avenues of what normally would have been our experience with the internet. I mean, there were these open searching. I mean, when was the last time you actually just went to Google and searched for something? Now, I actually, usually, if I'm going to get news, I'm, I hit news.google.com, and I get a whole bunch of other things there, but I'm not physically going to other people's sites, so I'm only seeing what Google is willing to show me, and the only news I'm exposed to is what Google is willing to share. That thought, it's a little unnerving. And Google is the most open of all of them. They're, you know, I mean, they're in the business of, of reaching out to as many different avenues. But if you're on your, your iPhone and you're only getting information via apps, that's very, very closed off. And you're never actually being able to be exposed to outside influences. And what's important about that is that it's easy to look at something and come up with your own ideas or to be force-fed uh, a specific point of view that you already share or an opposite point of view. But that third perspective comes from questioning all things. This is a very satanic principle. Question all things, including what you are comfortable with. And you can't do that if you're force-fed information in one specific way by one specific company with one specific goal, and that's to make money off of you. I never really thought about that before this article, and that may be naive on my part, but I'm guessing other people out there haven't either, which is why I wanted to bring it up. Um, let's go ahead and take a short break, and we'll jump into uh, Creature Feature. You know, dogs are different than cats, and hey, what if Jack Nicholson were a Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com download the latest podcast The Devil's Mischief Carnal Comedy Clips and Netherworld Novelty Numbers Simply Not Made for the Masses Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave post-punk and other hits? Jay Nothing the host of the Metro will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com and remember, Hail Satan. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Derp. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com.
Prepare for incoming message. Prepare yourself for Deep Six Radio. I am Matt, host of Deep Six Radio. And I am in Russ. Yes, we are. So if you want to be one of the six taking on the oh-so-lovely Idris and want to be featured on the show... Send your emails and MP3s to us at deep6 at radiofreesatan.com Include a bio and anything you want mentioning on air. We are open to any genre apart from rap. Deep Six also includes a fine selection of alternative rock as well as multiple other genres. So why not jump on the roller coaster? That is Deep Six Radio. Deep Six is available on radiofreesatan.com and also iTunes a week later. We, we look, look forward, forward to, to you joining us. us. End of the line. Oh God! No. Just me. Did you know that after the heart stops beating, the brain can function? For well over seven minutes, we got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature. It's funny, um, I, I never realized through the entire, like, three-fourths of this entire show... That I was using the wrong microphone to record. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm terribly sorry that I'm a complete moron at times. Uh, but I think I got my microphone situation sorted out. Um, this is horrible because, like, and it, I, guess it, I guess it's fitting that in this annual um, episode, I go back to the original shitty <laughs> microphone that I was using before. I mean, it's the microphone that's part of my webcam, and um, the the microphone I use for the podcast is actually um, an Audio-Technica 2020, so it's not the best. It's sort of like an entry-level podcasting mic, but it's certainly better than that cam one that I'm using, and you know, listening to the two, it's like drastically different. And and so when I do hear it, after having used this microphone for quite some time, it's jarring. And I'm a, a little bit upset that I had used it for this whole episode, but hey, you know what? What, what can you do? I'm not going to go back and re-record 35 minutes of material, you know what I mean? Let's talk about parenting with love and logic. I'm a parent, and i got two children, um, and one of them is of the age of questioning, which I absolutely love in what it means, but as a parent, it's a pain in the ass. Um, I mean, okay, so taking a step back, seeing it from the outside, it's great because they're they're strong and independent, uh, willful, which is going to serve them well in the real world. Um, But when you just want them to clean their damn room... (laughs) Or if you just want them to move their shoes where they're supposed to be in your house without them making, like, an end-of-the-world fuss, it becomes a challenge. Uh, and, and like I, I mentioned before um, in, a, in a past episode, when I talk about stuff like this, I'm not looking for advice, so if you're so inclined to give it, please refrain yourself. 
you know, I'm, I'm working through what I'm dealing with on my, you know, the way that I best feel I should. And that includes involving teachers um, in their manner of addressing my children, uh, working with my wife, and what it's come down to is involving a therapist because there has been um, concern about depression and um, uh, excessive energy. So, you know, essentially we're thinking it's either... um, depression or it's um, ADHD which either way it can be dealt with one is a lot more challenging than the other but we're not sure we're not therapists ourselves Um, my psychology in college was not enough for me to feel comfortable diagnosing my own son Uh, so we took him to a professional and this professional recommended this book parenting with love and logic not because not because it would be a sort of band-aid but because it's in his words a really good way of parenting that fits some children and he thought that our son might be one of those so i go to the library i get the book and i'm reading it and i'm initially struck well well first of all let me let me let me read to you what parenting with love and logic purports to be um And this is sort of on the jacket of the book here. Raise children who are self-confident, motivated, and ready for the real world with this win-win approach to parenting. Your children will win because they'll learn to solve their own problems while gaining the confidence that they need to meet life's challenges. And you'll win because you'll establish healthy control without resorting to anger, threats, nagging, or exhausting power struggles. Parenting with love and logic puts the fun back into parenting. And okay, so that's that's the little blurb. But whenever I hear someone say "put the fun back into," I expect fun being in the word. You know what I mean? So like "fun back in funeral," for example. I feel like if you say "put fun back in parenting," you're sort of missing a really sort of chance at being goofy and and entertaining. And maybe if they would have said "put the ren," <laughs> put the par back in parenting put the ing back in parenting. Um, meaningless, I know, but still. So, um, I pick up the book, I give it a shot, and actually a lot of the tenets that I found in it, I had been using all the way back when I was a, uh, a soldier and I had other soldiers and dealing with them. Um, so the premise behind this method of, of parenting is that you allow your children to have control over their lives within the confines that you set. So instead of saying, for example, um, go to bed, it's nine o'clock. You say, oh, look, hey, it's nine o'clock. Would you like to go to your, um, would you like to put on your pajamas and then go brush your teeth? Or would you rather brush your teeth first and then go put on your pajamas so you can go to bed? So the object is always, and there's never a question, that you will go to bed. It's how they get to the bed that is the choice. 
Now, for my daughter, who's much younger, um, it's a little bit easier. Um, we like to do this thing where she, you know, she says, Daddy, I want to fly like a bird, and so I'll sort of pick her up so she's flying like Superman, basically, and flapping her arms, and I'm like, you know, moving her up and down and running around the house like that. So I'll say, do you want to fly like a bird to your room, or would you like to go to your room and get your pajamas on yourself? And that way she knows, well, it's time for bed, you know. Uh, and we always do that thing of, of who, who do you want to brush your teeth? We never ask her if she wants to brush her teeth. It's just, who do you want to help you brush your teeth? Mom or dad. Who do you want to read to you? Mom or dad. So it's that sort of, of, of logic of addressing um, situation and behavior. And, and that in and of itself, if that was it, would be great. Except what you find is that they, and this is something you're going to find a lot in in society, which drives me batshit crazy, is they equate Christian morals um, and ver- literally verse from the, the Bible into this as, as sort of like a chapter header. And what they're doing by that is trying to associate a perceived authority that the Bible has in certain fucked up weak people's minds with reality in parenting. And that's what drives me fucking crazy is that that's the, there's no inherent authority that the Bible has other than it's just an entertaining read, um, a sort of uh, lowbrow uh, adventure sex book, <laughs> you know? But people take it as, it as if it's some authority and so they sort of use it to their own ends. And that's what these people did with Parenting with Love and Logic is they used it. If, they, if it wasn't about that, if it wasn't about the purported uh, authority that that book had, then they would just have Joe Smith from <laughs> from Kansas says, and then gives a nice little motivational quote at the beginning of each chapter. You know, it would just be some random person if it wasn't for the authority. And so I had a problem with that because throughout the book, they not only start each chapter with that um a biblical reference, but they also sort of reference Christian values and the, the need for religion in a child's life in order for them to understand morals, which is inherently flawed because I genuinely think human beings have inherent morals. I don't think you have to teach a child that it's bad to kill someone. What you do is teach them how to uh, kill someone in a healthy way. <laughs> and that is, that is in the ritual chamber uh, when they're of age. Uh, meaning, you know, young adults, and um, even symbolically as children, you know, just say, imagine you uh, are, are uh, you know, maybe create a little voodoo doll or something, you know, however you want to manage it. Uh, all I'm saying is, is don't breach adult subjects with your children. So this entire book was based on that. And so we go out of our way, and I say out of our way, but it's tough because when you're in um, an argument situation and it's like building to an argument, it's hard to take a step back and say, it's unfortunate that you feel that way. Give me a moment and we will address it. Because not every child is going to afford you that opportunity. But this entire book is based on the idea that children learn from their mistakes. <laughs> and for the most part, they do. I genuinely believe that for the most part, they do. But children are also, like every other human being, just smaller, <laughs> less educated, 
in some cases, uh, conniving as shit. You know, I mean, they will get away with what they can, damned the consequences. And all the better if they don't have consequences for those actions. So they're going to try, even at the earliest of ages, try to play you against your spouse. At the earliest day of ages, they're going to try to get away with whatever they can, because that is human nature. And what I like to think is that coming from a satanic background, uh, as a, a satanic parent and husband, uh, I understand that a little bit better, I believe, than, say, just your random run-of-the-mill Islamic Judeo-Christian parent does. I don't rely on outside influences like going to church to inherently teach children things. I believe that a child understands strength and authority um, through sight and presence. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you're telling your kids, you do this because I'm your parent and I say so, well, you're doing exactly what I hated about the idea of, of this God that the Christians have. Is that you're trying to prove your authority rather than showing it. Be that presence that in dire circumstances prevents them from harm, physical or emotional. It protects them. But do not try to take over their life. And this is one thing that echoed throughout Parenting with Love and Logic that I actually did really connect with. And it was that idea that allow your children to make their own mistakes. Your child gets in a fight in your front yard, let them deal with it. And then lovingly talk to them afterward about how it happened, what could have gone differently. And if they ask, Give them ways of managing that. Let them learn from the mistakes. You know, you end up with these self-entitled pricks on Occupy Wall Street because they're constantly told that they're all special and that they're all deserving. And their parents are showering them with praise over the most meaningless actions. And we create this lifestyle of entitlement rather than just knowing that with reality comes certain behavioral norms. If you're uh, a jerk to all of your friends, they're going to tell you you're a jerk. If if you go up to a, a, a bigger kid and you start talking smack and you get hit, well, suddenly you start to realize that maybe I shouldn't go up to people and talk smack to them because if I do, I get hit. You have to allow that to happen. And I know it's hard as a parent. I know it's hard with me. I want to get involved, but... What's important is that they learn on their own uh, the lessons that they are capable of learning on their own. I mean, when it comes to things like um, drugs and alcohol, uh, sex, adult behaviors, don't allow them the opportunity to learn on their own. You need to breach those subjects as early as you feel they are capable of understanding them, but you have to breach them. So you want to make sure that your kids understand that you cannot do drugs for a number of reasons. Um, but also let them experience those those failures in life. And don't keep telling them that they're special and that they're the best because you know what? They're not. And you doing it is proving that you're not either. You're allowing them to be those assholes that we all bitch about in the world. Stop it right at the start. Don't be so controlling. This is your child's life, not your life. 
You're not there to dictate their action. You're there to help them and help them pick them up when they fall. And that's sort of, you know, what this book was about. So if you can stomach all the Christian reference, uh, if you're having trouble as a parent, um, as I don't know any parents who don't, uh, it may, may be worth a read. Uh, the style is not appropriate with every child, but I know with managing soldiers in the past and with my children, it has ended up being a little bit um, better than th- methods maybe I inherently tried to teach with. Uh, so, you know, it's worth a read. Parenting with Love and, Love and Logic. Check it out at your library. It's free. Or just go online to their website, loveandlogic.com. Um, but I, you know, little parentheses here. If you can stand the Christian reference. Not everyone can. It's tough to stomach, I know. Um, but despite that, there are some good little hints and tips. All right, and you know what? That's going to do it for another show. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you enjoyed it. I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and MySpace page for 9 cents. I'm like stumbling my words because I'm uh, imbibing here on some pumpkin porter, which is actually really fucking good. Um, but that's why. <laughs> um and get updated on weekly topics. <laughs> Listen to this show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. You can also subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices and musical personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com and online streaming radio station. Before I go, once again, I'd like to talk briefly about my children's book. How Crow Got His Scare Back. It's a book that teaches your children to look inside of themselves for the strength to overcome their fears. It contains satanic reference and features my own writing and artwork. Visit the website at adampcampbell.com forward slash crow to learn more. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!